you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24, where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Good morning, Pastor Kevin. Good morning. How are yeah. you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We are actually not broadcasting live from the, uh, the coffee house on Second and Bridge. We are in an underground bunker. Two, uh, two to three miles under the ground. In, actually, we're at Natchez Social. We are at the community service, uh, community center here in Franklin, Tennessee. We are practicing some social distancing this morning. Even in the studio here, we are, are, are six feet away from each other. So, um, good morning to you. Good morning. How, how are you and your family doing doing we're, all this? We're staying healthy, going a little bit stir crazy. We've got a little one at home. We've got a special guest here this morning, which I'm going to have you introduce, but he also has kids, so he understands my, we've been playing every board game imaginable in the home. <laughs> but uh, before we go any further, let's, let's welcome our guest this morning. Kevin, can you properly introduce this young? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're thrilled and privileged to have with us today a good friend of mine, uh, CZ Curtis Zachary. He's on, on staff and one of the teaching pastors at the Church of the City uh, here in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, he and I have had the, the privilege of knowing each other for several years now and get together. We try to get together regularly. Our schedules kind of prevent it. But, uh, but anyway, we're glad to have him here. Welcome, CZ. Welcome. Man, it's so cool. Thanks for having me. I'm excited I need an applause and a cheer button. Oh, it's what we need. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're very low, low maintenance here. At, uh, <laughs> we don't right. have the budget for applause. At Floods of Justice, yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, but anyway, I thought, and one reason I, I wanted CZ to come in uh, as well is uh, for us just to kind of have a conversation about what's going on with, uh, with the coronavirus and uh, how it's impacting our communities. And uh, he serves uh, a large church. I serve a small church, but yet we're still facing the same thing of, of uh, people who are struggling and, uh, and then what to do about Sunday services and, and dealing with anxiety and fear and all those things that are going on. And uh, so uh, that's just kind of what I've pictured today for this podcast, just kind of um, just talking through some things that we're feeling uh, going going through this, and uh, you know, I know as our church um, week before week before last, the second Sunday in uh, March, we could not have service because the school we meet in the public school and the school uh, was shutting down for the weekend and doing a deep clean. And then we had service last week, and then uh, got uh, word this week um, that for the next uh, three Sundays um, we can't use the building, the, the schools in Williamson County, both the city schools and the county schools are closed until um, through the weekend of April 5th. And so that, and so, um, and so that first Sunday in April, we can't have service. And so that's three Sundays in a row. And so the way things are tracking right now, if we are able to have church service, the next church service will be Easter Sunday. And so, um, you know, we're coming to the spring during Lent, an important time of the year on the Christian calendar and uh, and not uh, being able to have service. And, and so the question for me becomes, there's a lot of questions, but the question for me becomes, okay, how do we stay connected as a church during this time of social distancing? 
Um, how do we still stay connected? And, and uh, that's kind of what I'm struggling with. I, but I don't know. What are you guys over at Church of the City? How are you guys tackling all this? Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty uniform in a sense of every uh, church is asking the same questions. I think the beauty of what this season represents is a leveling of the playing field, I guess you would say, uh, with lack of a better term. I think everyone is looking into what this virus represents for this season with a response that is exactly the same for every situation. So if you have a large church, a small church, a church that's been around for a lot of years, a brand new church, uh, everyone's asking the exact same question. What does this season represent for the way of communal connection and intentionality, what the church represents. So in that way, I think it's an incredible opportunity for uh, alignment and assessment. I think that there, uh, in every situation, needs to be uh, a calibration that comes. You know, every car, you know, whether it's an old beater uh, or a brand new car, eventually needs to have its alignment checked. And uh, no matter how you take care of the car, no matter how long you've had the car, uh, no matter how delicate you are with the, the steering wheel or if you just beat it up, every every uh, car needs an alignment check. And so I think this season for all of us is essentially providing a sense for us to be up on the rack and checking our alignment, seeing what is important, what holds us fast, where do we put our faith, where is our anchor for the soul, as it says in Hebrews 6. So um, yeah, all the questions that you're asking are the same questions. I think one of the things that's really interesting for every community that's represented, whether it's your church community or your own intentional uh, relationships and discipleship or things like that, I think it, it causes you to then ask the question. Like, What's really interesting is even before the virus, here locally we have this tornado that comes through. And as the tornado comes through, you have uh, two kind of distinct groups of people uh, from the faith community that are responding. One is a group of people who sees a need and from the outside of the conversation are stepping into where they've not been present. You know, it's a new opportunity to come alongside people who are hurting. Maybe you live far away. Maybe you just haven't been involved or engaged in what's happening in the neighborhood, but then you're given a chance to be able to inject yourself into the to, to the situation, which is good and helpful, and uh, but also has its own complexities and challenges and things like that. But then there's another group of people who uh, have been consistently serving and a part of the conversation before the tornado came through, and they're simply continuing what life looked like before in a new dynamic. And I bring that up simply because I think it amplifies the reality of what we have perceived to be connectivity and community before a tragedy happens. I think when tragedy happens and when there's an instance that, that brings things forward to an acute uh, need to pay attention to, it, it causes us to say, well, have you been here before, <laughs> you know? And so I think for a lot of people, it's it's helping forge and deepen relationship and community. Uh, the, the places of investment that have been made are uh, galvanized in a time like this. I think for others of us, it brings awareness of the times where we would say maybe we had the illusion of connection or the hopefulness that we had a presence, but now we feel the very real sense that there is a disconnection and either what can we do about it or what does that look like moving forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. And for those of you who are listening in other part, from other parts of the country, in Middle Tennessee, it really kind of has been a, a double uh, whammy for lack of a better phrase, mm -hmm. uh, that we had the tornado come through um, and just 
um, through a tremendous amount of devastation. And then right in the middle of all that cleanup, now now we have this, and the social distancing comes into place, and uh, the volunteer base went from really, really high to really, really low uh, very quickly. And I have some friends who, who had their homes damaged, and, uh, and I've been praying for them, uh, trying to figure out what to do, because I can imagine, you know, they were, uh, how am I going to get this, my house uh, repaired and now this hits, and I assume they're on the phone talking to insurance, talking to everybody, and now it's just, well, we can't get to it right now. We can't. And so everything is just going to be delayed. Um, and, uh, and you know, we, you see that it's the best of times and worst of times in a very, very real way uh, from that. So pray for us in Middle Tennessee because we're still dealing with that, uh, with the tornado destruction, yeah. as well as now trying to um, uh, trying to figure out what the new normal is. Uh, with uh, with churches and, and schooling and, and social distancing and all of that. I've got some friends who are involved in the in the home church movement and they're kind of smiling right now going, yeah, see, we got it right. We, we you know, so right. this is kind of like what you said. They, they've already lived in this way and right. so now they can just continue on and now for us who are more into the, the broader church world of, of doing churches and programs and all that, that analogy of now we're just kind of up on the rack What's important? What works? What doesn't work? Um, and uh, and then just going back to you know how do we how do we stay plugged in? How do we stay engaged? Um, we have the tools to stay engaged yeah. uh, with social media and all of that, but how do we stay engaged during this time when um, you know our churches are not meeting? And for a lot of people, right or wrong, their whole connection to church was the Sunday morning service or sure. the weekend services, and that was about their whole connection to the church. Um, and now that's taken away. How do we, you know, how, how do we build community? I mean, that's just that's kind of just what's been on my mind is okay. How do we steward this well? Uh, but how do we build con- community and make sure that people are connected uh, during this time so that that um, uh, that uh, senior citizen who one of their only trips out every week may be to go to a church service. You know, um, how do we make sure that uh, we're reaching out. We're staying connected. We're 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 calling them regularly. We're we're doing whatever we can so that they don't um, go by. I mean, you know, my wife and I are at home. We're by ourselves, and but our our kids live nearby. So you know, we can let's go to their let's go to their house. Let's let's get out. Let's get around at least our family. You guys have full houses in your house, and so you know, there's a lot going on. But that that uh, senior citizen who may be living in a house or an apartment just by themselves, and their one connection was once a week going to church. Now that's not there. How do we, you know, so those are the things that are going through my mind. And I think it does kind of, you know, it is a leveling out process because every church now is facing the same problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, every church, how do we get, so it doesn't matter if you're a small church. You know, I kind of joked around for a little while. I mean, at first it was no groups under 250, Okay, we can still have church. We're right. we're well below that, you know. No groups under under a hundred. Okay, we're getting close now, but we're there. But then when they said no groups under ten, I mean, boy, now it's like okay, now we're all right. Now now we, now we all can't uh, can't do that. And then for us, our hands are are kind of tied because as long as the school says you can't you can't come in, you can't come in. So. In some ways, it makes a decision easier for us because it was like, well, do we meet? Do we not meet? Well, that decision was made for us. But let's say a month from now, churches are worshiping again, but schools are still closed. What do we do? Because yeah. you know, it, okay, we now we still can't meet because of a 
because uh, you know we're we're a school based uh, church. So don't know the answers to all that, but that's the conversation. <laughs> I, was about, I was about to ask that. I, I worked really hard the last couple of years to not be on Facebook. I was like, I just don't want. I, I had excess excess Facebook and social media for so many years. Then I was like, all right, on sabbatical, not going to do it. And then now this hits. Do you guys have any thoughts on best practices of? connectedness in this social media world where there's a false sense of connectedness like that dichotomy yeah. on that how do you really encourage how do you foster a genuine intimacy um in the midst of well it's really not is it is it possible I don't yeah. know. what are yeah. your thoughts i would just say well one i've been in a similar situation for the past few years i haven't been on social media and that was an intentional decision it was more centered around uh, posturing myself to be in a place of listening and, and receptivity, uh, less talking, uh, less output, less uh, flipping the switch to on, you know, and more uh, seeking to rest, opening my hands, being ready to receive. And so I, I definitely resonate with you, that desire to just kind of be away from what that looks like. It's really interesting because right before uh, this all happened, uh, my wife and I were talking and I'd been really prayerful and I felt like God was stirring in my heart, um, just kind of uh, uh, paying attention to a reallocation of that energy and saying, maybe it is time to re-enter that conversation. And I wasn't really sure <laughs> about it at first, simply because, one, there's not a natural compulsion for me toward it. It's not something that I would automatically say, man, I miss this and this is really uh, where I want to be. So uh, I honestly kind of like push back a little bit in my heart and spirit around yeah. Uh, what that looked like. But I mean, clearly, uh, this has been the perfect timing for that in a sense that so much of my life is lived out in relationship with people over a cup of coffee. And that's just simply not present right now in my in my current conversation. So from uh, an advantageous standpoint, the timing of that was perfect in the sense that I kind of jumped right back on right before that. But I think what every conversation really requires, whether it's um, what Pastor Kevin was just talking about in regard to how do we connect, how do we lean in with uh, the places of connectivity that we're hoping for in the fabric of community, uh, how do churches respond to serve other churches who are beholden to the school's uh, mandates, which are different than, you know, the private, you know, ability to own a building or whatever, like how do we serve one another in that? I think the biggest question uh, that we need to start with is how do I steward what's uh, mine to steward, you know, and I think... Social media is a, another one of those things. It's a stewardship of relationship and time. And that's true whether it's interpersonal with real people at a coffee shop right here in downtown Franklin or if it's on cyberspaces from here to my friends all the way back in California. I have some friends in Thailand that just recently moved there about a year and a half ago that we, we were really tight with. And so uh, all those things really come down to stewardship. And when you are starting to talk about stewardship, like how do you care for what is before you to care for? For me, there's one question that needs to be asked and answered before you move forward, and that's why. And um, I think sometimes we feel as though uh, social media engagement is inevitable and we don't have a choice and we have uh, only the momentum of culture to follow. And I just have a yes. And even if I wanted to disengage, I just couldn't because it's not socially acceptable. I think both you and I have <laughs> kind of proven in a sense that you're able to live and exist without. But also, if you are going to live with 
uh, rather than the inevitable sense of I just have to go with the current and the momentum of how it exists, uh, asking my why and that then dictating and forming and shaping my stewardship of the relationship, I think helps to better manage those those interactions. So, for example, if I say, man, my why is in this season to foster and connect in intimacy with relationship, one, why? Why do I want to do that? And quite frankly, some of us will arrive at that place by asking why to say, well, I just want people to hear me talk. I just want, I want to be known. I want to be seen. And it's not even so much about that fostering. We might use that language. Sure. Uh, but what that does for us, I think, is in, inject and, and uh, create good introspection to then arrive at a place of, well, how do I then move forward? How do I, how do I with intentionality, to serve the actual why, do things that are the next right step. So then that might limit the amount of time that I'm on there. Maybe I only engage it at certain scheduled points in the day, in the morning and in the evening. So I'm engaging, but at the same time, it's not uh, governing my life. And I think that that's kind of where people start to feel a little bit trepidatious is, is this medium, is this thing going to cause me to live in a way that I don't want to? Does it have enough hold on my life that it would control me? And I think with intentionality and stewardship asking why, I think we can... We can change that. So that why of I want to be known, I want to be seen, that's kind of a, 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 a universal resonating comment of, yeah, I think most everybody wants to be known, wants to be seen. Is there is there a healthy side to that? Is there an unhealthy side where it becomes a, yeah. a selfish? You know, that idea of, well, we have two ears and one mouth. We should be listening more than we speak. Well, we're on social media, and if that's our yeah. only connectedness, how do you live that out? Yeah, and I, I would just say, yes, uh, I don't want to – in the same spirit, govern this conversation. No, no, just, no, no. <laughs> that, but I wasn't uh, suggesting that. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. You're doing fine, man. Just okay. keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but no, I, I think that that's a great question. So to answer your question, yes, I think there's a healthy space to it. I believe every person wants to be seen, heard, known, and loved. I think that that's uh, baked into our DNA. God made us with that uh, reality being expressed in our lives. Like we are made to be seen heard, known, and loved all by God. <laughs> and he made us for relationship with himself first. Like, I think that's one of the things that is so interesting to me in my journey of faith is recognizing how many of my tensions and struggles have been centered around uh, my inability or my ability to do things for God. Um, and I just had to come to this realization that God's first intention for me as his child was never first for me to do for him but it was to be with him. And, and he made humanity from the very beginning for communion with himself. And uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says something really interesting. There's that, that old bird song that, that quotes, you know, a time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to sing, a time to mourn, a time to cry, you know, all these different things. Uh, but in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He set eternity in the hearts of humankind so that they wouldn't know the beginning or the end. And what's interesting about that is it's that old adage of there being a God-shaped hole in our heart, and it can only be satisfied by him. Um, as hokey and as silly as that may sound on the surface, it's actually true. Like, we're always talking about how we're born sinners. We're born separated from God. But uh, we very rarely talk about how we're born with this innate awareness of the God who made us. We're only satisfied by the one who created our very inmost being. And what we're longing for so often is truly him. It's not the thing that we think we're longing for. So back to seeing, heard, known, and loved, yeah, there's a healthy side to that because 
he made us to be seen, heard, <laughs> known, and loved by him. I think where we shift uh, in any form of, you know, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 10. He's like, uh, and therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Like, well, what is idolatry? Idolatry is where we give our time, attention, our thoughts, our money, right? And so often what we give those things to are usually the things that we're hoping that will help us feel seen, heard, known, and loved. And so we redirect this attention and Sometimes I think what social media represents for us is an avenue for us to find the fulfillment that ultimately should be coming from God, but we seek it from, from other sources. For me, social media is mainly, you know, as a church, we have a YouTube channel, but then on a personal basis, Twitter and uh, Facebook, I don't have, um, I've tried LinkedIn, but I just can't get excited about that. And I know, um, you know, Instagram and some of these other ones that, that, the more younger people. We don't have a church TikTok page. <laughs> we don't have a church TikTok page, maybe, but we might now. I would love to see <laughs> yeah. Pastor Kevin on a church TikTok page. Hey, Please, we'll, we'll, we'll look, we'll look, we'll look into it and see. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. <laughs> but I think for me, because I mean, I've been on social media a lot. Um, you know, I like I like to try to get discussions going uh, on social media about different topics. Translation but, fires. <laughs> but I think as a result, what I've been thinking about the last week or so is okay. I you know, we're still on social media, but maybe now it is more about, um, instead of just bringing up issues, it is more about how are you doing? Um, you, know, ha- you know, I haven't seen you in a while or things going well, so maybe a lot of uh, private messages are in order or maybe some face group pages um, that are closed. You know, maybe you just get, you get, you know, some of your friends together and you have a Facebook page that's closed. It's just you and your friends, so then you can share, um, you know, intimate small group stuff you may have shared in a small group over a cup of coffee now you can go to those places, safe places, and and uh, and share. And then our church has a Facebook page that I think for us at this time will become more and more important. It's like okay, you know, this is this is how as a church we can we can stay connected um, to go here and uh, and uh, and to share prayer requests and to, and to make uh, announcements or just see how everybody's doing, what are the needs. And so I think for me the focus of what um, the social media can do is changed a little bit it's gone from just everybody out there just expressing your own opinion to now let's be more intentional about how can we stay connected and build relationships uh through through this media through this medium because that's all we got right now um, because we can't uh you know gather in groups what's interesting to me another question and maybe if, if we take a break we can come back and talk about it is how long will this last like right now as a church um you know we're we're heeding to the warnings that are coming from uh, the authorities. Don't get together. Uh, but what about a month from now, two months from now, and it seems like everything is going okay, and they're still saying don't meet together. Uh, when the Bible says meet together, you know when does when does it become okay? Uh, I've I've uh, I've done my I've tried to be a good um, civil servant, but yet at the same time, a year from now. If the government's still saying don't meet as a church, okay, when do we start to violate that? You know, we're not there. We're nowhere near there yet. But in my mind, that's like, okay, right now it's good that we're all doing this. Uh, but, uh, you know, six months from now, is it still going to be good that we're still doing this? Or are we all going to be happy with doing live streams and recorded stuff and and doing ministry 
um, and the focus of a church's ministry instead of the worship service. I, again, those are questions I don't know. That's just what's going through my mind. Oh, we'll probably have a, a coronavirus episode in a month and two months and like a recap. In the well, they're saying now it's 18 months. We could be dealing with this for 18 months. You know, so it's gone from 30 days now to possibly 18 months. And, um, and you know, be quite honest, there's a lot of churches that won't survive 18 months sure. without, yeah. without that. And so, um, you know, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. It may just be, you know, we are re- we, we, we're in this situation where right now everybody's just trying to make it through two weeks. Um, but is, is this the new norm? <laughs> you know, yeah. is, this, is this how it's going to be? Uh, right now, I mean, you had the potential to reach far more people through media um, than you do, but there's still something about that local church uh, gathering and uh, and and being together uh, on a on a regular basis. And Hebrews tell us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Um, and so, um, you know, again, maybe the Book of Acts had it right in saying meet in homes, and we've gotten away from that, and that may be the solution that now. Churches are going to be more, you know, we've done small groups, but now churches are going to be more um, community-based, local-based, small settings um, instead, of, uh, uh, instead of the mass, the mass uh, thing or the mass thing being a once-a-quarter thing or, yeah. you know, a couple times a year thing or something. Let's all come together in a mass setting, but most of the time we're meeting in small groups and doing the ministry uh, in our neighborhoods uh, throughout the week. But those, right now, a whole lot more questions than answers. Yeah. Well, what are That's your right. thoughts? You know, there's there's introverts and there's extroverts. And I think I thought I used to be an extrovert, and now I'm realizing I'm more of an introvert. And in this time, and not to be, don't betray any trust, but are you guys hearing anything behind the scenes uh, from, you know, from people in your church that are reaching out and struggling with some things that it's like... They're they're an introvert by nature, but we're asking them to reach out and connect and be vulnerable in in this in this medium and in this time. Are you are you guys seeing anything as pastors that that you know the average person may not see? Yeah, I think it's really um, for me again. It comes back to the reality of relationship and uh, prayerfully for me. You know, my position as a pastor is not the uh, primary way that I engage with people. I'm hoping that it's through relationship and not just in my position. And uh, I think what I've found in relationship and in connection to just conversations with people who are in my life, I think the representation of what this season is brings a sense of hopefulness, quite frankly, because of some of the questions that uh, Pastor Kevin just introduced. Like some of those people who might be uh, naturally introverts uh, find a sense of hopefulness connected to the uh, reduction of the sizes of these gatherings. And, you know, it's actually quite comforting because it's almost bringing them to a place of um, uh, belonging or or warmth, (laughs) thinking about maybe moving forward. The anxiety that I feel that no one else ever feels on Sunday, they think no one else ever feels on Sunday, to walk into a big room filled with people that I don't really know very well, um, that is now dissipated, and it's been something that I've been carrying for X number of years, as long as I can remember, whereas they're looking at this saying, well, if things are calibrated, you know, if things do come to a place where it minimizes the size of the gathering, uh, there's a sense of anticipation and hopefulness that that would be the case, because now 
they would feel more at home in a sense of what church represents for them in their own process to say, I'd much rather be in a smaller group than I would be in a larger. Now, of course, you, you flip the converse to that and you have people who are being paid on staff at churches. Um, they don't want it to go to a smaller thing, maybe inherently on the surface, simply because that's going to affect their livelihood. And that's a very reasonable response as well. So I think, you know, everyone has different uh, intonations connected to the conversation because some people are vocationally connected to what happens and they have implications there. Others uh, are hoping and have been longing for a reckoning moment like this. Um, I do think people who uh, are more inward in their thinking and uh, a bit more introverted uh, have in social media spaces already felt a sense of on my terms, I can reach out of my shell however I'd, I'd like. And so I don't think that that will really change much. I think that the, the governance of what that looks like in their life has already been kind of the one outlet where they can express themselves in a quote-unquote level of anonymity, you know, or at least some sort of buffer. And so in that way, I, I don't know that that's really, in my conversations, producing more anxiety or more thoughts of, uh, of wanting to withhold. But if anything, I think it's, uh, again, back to, I think a lot about um, my wife has been homeschooling our son, you know, since uh, the beginning of the school year. And uh, our wrestle intention has been, man, we're just in the house all the time. And now everyone else is out going and doing and like, man, how do we figure out a way to infuse some of that into our lives? But it's really hard because it's like everything feels so anchored here. And how do you figure that, you know, but now it's like the whole table is turned and, and everyone's going, hey, how do you guys be at home all the time, <laughs> you know, and, you know, how do we, and so it's just an interesting thing because there's always a different perspective connected to the situation and there's always going to be different people who are walking out different parts of the journey. So I think for some people, what is a benefit and a blessing for others is going to be a challenge and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm an, I'm an introvert by nature. So, um, being alone is is a healthy thing for me. That's kind of where I get refueled. But there's a difference in being introverted and then being lonely. There's a difference between right. being alone and being lonely. So I think that's the thing we got to guard against is that, um, you know, the, to me, um, it would be a great time to be a psychologist or and, uh, and a sociologist just to watch what's going on and how it's going to – we're too early in the process to really see it right now, but what's going on. But I would think if I can paint with a broad brush, if you're an extrovert, um, you're going to go stir crazy. But if, if you're an introvert, um, you may go down into a hole and become lonely and depressed. Um, and so whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you still need these relationships um, that, uh, that, that you know that this person loves me and I'm heard and I'm seen and, uh, and I'm all of that. And so I think that would, be the, that would be the fear is, okay, if I'm an extrovert, I'm, I'm, I'm going crazy locked up in my, in my small uh, environment now uh, then as an introvert people think you're doing okay because you've always kind of been quiet but now you you find yourself going down into a hole because there's no one nearby for you to express um, how you're feeling when you want to feel but that's just we'll see it's just we're just a couple weeks into this but yeah. I, that'll be interesting to see yeah. yeah well let's take a little break here and when we come back we'll we'll dive more into kind of the anxiety the fears and what god how god calls us to respond and how the church should respond in a moment all right, let's hear from our sponsor. The Floods of Justice podcast is brought to you by the Coffee House at Second and Bridge. 
Since 1904, they have stood at the corner of 2nd Bridge Street in the heart of downtown Franklin. Their house-made menu items are crafted with care and love. Baked goods are made from scratch each morning, and specialty coffee is always ground and brewed fresh. So come on down, wander the rooms, join us at the coffee bar, and find a space to enjoy the food, the drink, and maybe even a recording of the Floods of Justice podcast. It's only been a week, and I'm already missing the coffee at the coffee house. I know it, man. <laughs> I hear that commercial, I'm like, oh. I know it. <laughs> I know it. And, you know, we, we were... Um, um, we moved over to the community center from the coffee house because we're trying to practice social distancing. But while we were setting up this morning to get ready for the podcast, the owner of the coffee house texted me and said, Hey, in case you're planning on coming by, we're closed uh, and our, and our 15 employees are, are, are not working. And so, um, that's, that's a whole nother aspect, uh, to, to, to this. And so if I just kind of use that to go into the anxiety Absolutely. is, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of people financially who are not going to recover, um, from this, there's going to be some churches financially who don't recover from this. But to be honest, right now, um, as a church, that's not even close to being our main concern because there's so many people um, who who are going to be hurting. There's going to be businesses who won't recover, and then um, you know we, our church is located, and we you know we, we're a low income church in a high income uh, county is what I tell people. Our church, Franklin Community Church, is. And so I know in trying to prepare myself and trying to prepare our leaders that, you know, a couple of weeks from now, it's going to get really interesting because there's going to be a lot of people who haven't worked. I was walking around the neighborhood um, and in some different places yesterday, and people were telling me, you know, I haven't worked in two days. I haven't worked in three days because these are, these are low-paying jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you've got restaurants like Chick-fil-A, who's always busy, who's decided they're not going to do anything but drive through. Um, and of course, the coffee house uh, shut down, um, and restaurants and and uh, and other businesses. I went to Verizon yesterday to check on something, and Verizon was closed. Um, and so that has this impact. I think that's where a lot of the anxiety. Some people are anxious because they're afraid they're going to get um, uh, the virus, which is really really low. Although Williamson County, where we're coming from. Um, is one of the has one of the highest numbers of other counties f- for county our size. I would we're probably the leading county in the number of of uh, cases for county our size. Um, you know Nashville has quite a bit. New York, of course, is leading is leading the pack on the number of that. But but so there's that anxiety of am I going to get sick? Um, but then there's also that anxiety of how am I going to pay my rent next month? How you know how am I go- how am I going to buy groceries? Uh, next, you know, next month, my uti- my light bills, my utility bills, all of those, all of those things, and so trying to prepare ourselves as a church. Okay, we we're going to be in a position where people are going to look to us to, for help. Um, man, alive, we <laughs> we haven't met, so we're not collecting tithes and offerings, um, and now people need need help. And from a church side and from our nonprofit side, okay, get ready, get ready because people, you know. Um, Rents come and due soon, and even if uh, even if the Congress does something where it says you don't have to worry about rent for a couple months, okay, it's still gonna that bill is still gonna come due. So I think um, the anxiety that I think that people are gonna feel, at least for the people who, who we work with, is gonna be more financial anxiety than it is. Um, am I am I gonna get uh, am, am I gonna get am I gonna get sick from this? Um, I think that I think that's where we got to really, really pay attention because there, there's going to be 
again, from the businesses, small businesses, large businesses as well, like I think all automakers, uh, all, you know, GM, Ford, uh, Chrysler have all said they're shutting down their their assembly lines. Um, and so, you know, my and so my son works for GM. My son-in-law works for GM. Uh, my daughter it works in a dental office, and they're shut. They're shut down. So I mean, this is this is my this is my family and my reality as well. What are we what are we going to do, um, and how are we going to meet uh, those needs? And I think it's it's going to be incumbent on God's people to. Um, the the good news I think is and and because I've been doing some reading and research on um, how did churches in history handle far worse plagues than this? You know what was there. Uh, what was and and in every case the church leaned into it uh, instead of running from it the church the church leaned into it um and uh, were were there some of them at the at the uh risk of their own lives and something like I was reading the case where Martin Luther during one of the bubonic plagues um and people were saying to leave the city and he said no I'm going to stay here and minister to my people and as a result his daughter got the bubonic plague and died you know I'm thinking whoa you know, without, you know, you, so as a church, we've got to step into this um, and be willing to sacrifice everything in in order to help the in order to help meet the needs and uh, and to make sure people are cared for. Yeah, I would just say, you know, piggybacking on that, one of the things that's really interesting in this season too is um, because of how things have happened with the momentum of church in recent history, so much is really formed and shaped on uh, ingenuity and uh, just this thought of how can we craft and make an experience and uh, thinking about our best thinking that we can afford toward things. And um, quite frankly, that's not going to get us anywhere right now. <laughs> I think uh, one of the most important things to remember is, uh, yes, we need to do all of those things, have best thinking and you know strategy and all of that. But the reason that the church leaned in, the reason that they had this fortitude to go, I'm not leaving, if it's Martin Luther or whatever, it's because of the power of the gospel. And I think, sadly, what happens for us in our humanity, and, and I know this in myself, is rather than me looking to deepen my connection to the Savior and to drink deeply of the gospel myself and to believe in the truths that are true about the Bible myself so that it enhances my my connectedness to the fortitude to be able to lean in at the risk of my life without my connection to the gospel, I will only lean on my best thinking. I will only lean on my ingenuity. And so I think all of those things are important, but one of the most important things I think we need to remember individually uh, as followers of the way of Jesus, uh, as people who are leading our communities of faith is uh, we need to be vigilant. We certainly do. We need to do everything we can in strategy and our best thinking, but all of our strategy and best thinking needs to be informed and shaped by the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel. And I know, and, and before this time and during this time and after this time, I know I have a risk of sounding uh, super spiritual or over <laughs> overly spiritual or whatever, and I get that. But I just think about, you know, what does it look like for us in the midst of uh, what could be, like you said, an 18-month period. And when people move from a place of uh, healthy uncomfortability to extreme anxiety and what those responses look like and how people act out of those things, um, the only way that we'll be able to sustain or be present in the midst of that chaos is 
if we're truly rooted and connected. And right now, I think forms and shapes the time whether or not that's going to be true. You know, I think about Philippians 4 and uh, when Paul is writing and he says, uh, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, right? So I think it's this really crazy kind of picture because we're looking at a dude who's in a suffering situation writing saying, rejoice in the Lord always. So when we're in suffering situations, we're like, man, I don't really understand how that works. But then when he says right after that, let your reasonableness be known. At first, you can just kind of, gla- you know, just read through it real fast and just go, oh, okay, cool, like, whatever. He's just, <laughs> But what he's saying is the most reasonable response in the midst of suffering is to rejoice in the Lord. And now, to our intellect, that doesn't make any sense because my best thinking doesn't say it's time for me to rejoice. My best thinking says it's time for me to just lean in and be, you know, sober-minded, and which is true. I want to do all those. But what he's saying is, continuing from that verse in Philippians 4, it's my then leaning in to say, if I'm anxious, bring my request before God because he's the only one who could even hear it. You know, whatever is true, lovely, and honorable, think about these things. He's not just saying it simply as a distraction because he says in Philippians 4, 8, I think he says, uh, let, uh, it's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that guards your heart. So it's not just it makes you feel better when you're anxious. It's actually a defense weapon to smack down anxiety before it gets to your heart. So Unless we're connected, I think that's where, uh, not just connected in, in community, but more, more so than anything, connected to the, to the source of life. Well, what are your thoughts on, I guess, your response to people who might be feeling this? What I would describe here is, <clears throat> in the topics of, of faith and trust in God, in the midst of this, the reality is, is there are people who are going to die of yeah. coronavirus. There are people who are going to lose their jobs. There's people who are going to lose their homes. There's people who their business will not recover from this. So how do you, how do you encourage but not give false hope to somebody to say, well, you can trust in God for this, but even if he doesn't, then this. And I, those are the blanks I don't have the sure. answers for. What are, what are your thoughts on those blanks to that response? Well, I, I think I, I think you you got to have a real faith, um, and uh, and I think you're right. We don't we don't need to give false false hope. Uh, we need to give genuine hope, and the genuine hope is if you do lose your job, uh, God is still there. If if you do um, get sick yourself, or or if you die, or if you know someone who dies from this, um, God is still there. Um, this you know this this world is not our home. This is a um, we live in a broken society. These these things happen, and God has never promised to get you out of anything. All He's promised is that He will go with you through it, and He'll be there with you through it, and He'll give you peace uh, in the midst of the storm. Um, instead of um, uh, well, you just got to believe more. And uh, uh, you know, again, if I can go back to parts of church history, um, it, it, like let's say that this was a extremely deadly plague instead of uh, the virus and who knows it may become deadly but right now you know it's uh it's a small number of people who who die and they're usually the elderly uh, not always but but usually and all that and so as a pastor you know if if um if if I was going to go to a house or if I was going to go to the hospital to visit somebody who had this incredibly um uh, dead that what could be contagious and deadly disease I went to the hospital, you know, I would put on the gowns, I would put on the mask, I would wash my hands, I would do all the things that the medical personnel uh, is doing. Um, 
and then I would and then I would pray for God's protection, you know, as as I go in to minister to this person, right? But at the same time, I think now this is just me. At the same time, I would go in there knowing that this could cost my life, you know, and still want to touch the person, hold their hand, you know, pray with them, uh, anoint them with oil or whatever it may be. And I, so I think that's the, like I, I'm I'm looking to God to protect me, but I also know that this could be the end of me as well. But yet I'm going to believe God enough to go ahead and do it. Now that's an extreme case. I mean, you know, so so. But that that was the attitude that I'm seeing in the in early church history. It was like we know that we may get the bubonic plague by taking care of these people. But we're still going to take care of them, trusting God to protect us. But if he doesn't protect us, we're still trusting in God's sovereignty. So it's, so it's not, I don't know if that makes any sense or if that answers your question. But I think, you know, that's just kind of the reality. Our church was on a mission trip in Honduras several years ago when there was an overthrow of the Honduran government. And we were in the capital city. And uh, so we went to bed, woke up the next morning, no, you know, helicopters flying everywhere, no power. Because we, we could see it all with our eyes, what was what was going on, and so we were we, we were with another church, and so we were gathered, and and, uh, and we were praying, and, and somebody somebody said something to the effect of, well, you know what, you know, I'm not worried about it, because God wouldn't have brought us down here um, and put us in danger. He's going to keep us safe, and all of that, and the missionary would stop and say, hold on right there, you got to stop. God may have very much called you down here to die, you know, so, so no, no, don't, don't, <laughs> Don't think that, that somehow or another God's just going to protect you uh, completely from all of this. Um, you know, we pray that he does, but you've got to be willing to follow God. You've got to be willing to follow Christ, um, even if it costs you your life. And I think that's, uh, among other things, that may be one of the things that we're learning. Because this is, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking this is, this is small. And if, <laughs> and if our tendency is to hoard food and toilet paper, um, what what really would happen if this was serious? Um, and were people all around us? There was one plague in Rome that the ancient church ministered in, where at its peak, five thousand people a day were dying. So, what if we if that happened here? As followers of Jesus, would we still be willing to go into those places and minister to people? You know, knowing that it could very well cost us our life, uh, and that's where the words of Paul would come to mind for me. To me, to, to live as Christ. And to die is even better. Now I don't have a, I don't want to die, you know. But I think, so I think that's what you know. It's like if God protects you and you keep your job, praise the Lord. But if God um, doesn't protect you and you lose your job and you lose your house and you lose, you know, uh, everything, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord even more in that situation, um, knowing that He saw you worthy to to go through that time of to, to that time of suffering. And then as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus, I think what the Bible teaches me is that, is that you, you enter into people's suffering with them. You know, and Paul says in Romans, I think it is, he says, I enter into my suffering by praying for me. And so at the very least I can pray, but can, how can I enter into the suffering uh, with somebody else? Um, and and uh, through my entering into their suffering, I may suffer myself, uh, but through it all we become more like more like Christ. And Paul says, and I think it is in Philippians, you, you can correct me, it's easy, where he says that he wants to know Jesus and the power of his suffering so that then he can experience uh, the resurrection. So I think, 
I think, I think you're dead on. We can't give people false hope saying, no, I just believe God more. Um, or, no, or there's been some televangelists who've said, you know, send me this money and I'll send you this ointment. You're guaranteed not to get the, not to get the virus. Um, <laughs> you know, no, no. Uh, God may call, God may, the reality is God may call you to get sick and die. He, he may. Um, are you willing to follow him and to press in and to lean into that suffering um, if that's, uh, if that's what his, if that's what his calling is. So be encouraged with that. <laughs> yeah. Was, so how are we going to turn this around? <laughs> We've got just a few minutes left. Yeah. Be encouraged with that. But uh, yeah, we got to be careful about giving. We, we have real hope in Jesus Christ. So let's not cheapen it by giving false hope. Yeah, and I would just say, just to jump in, uh, you know, platitudes and pithy sayings are our natural go-tos in uh, regular conversation, just to be frank. And I think it's times of uh, trial and reckoning and suffering that really call to account uh, what we say and what we mean when we say it. And I think uh, justifiably so, you're saying people would be asking those types of questions. I think they're fair and good questions to ask. I think when somebody has a response of like, well, why would I believe that a God um, could be good in the midst of all of that? Like, I don't get frustrated by that question thinking you just need to know and, you know, whatever, you know, (laughs) whatever prescriptive saying that I can say after that. Um, Because uh, it's a very justifiable uh, question to say, what about you is so confident in the midst of all of this that would make you feel like you could actually with a straight face say to me <laughs> while my grandma is dying or my you know son is sick or wh- whatever it is. Um, so it's a fair question, especially if you've not experienced the connectedness to God in a way that I'm saying uh, is expressive of how I'm even talking to you. So really more than anything, what again this season is doing for us not only as a church at large in the way that we gather and meet but also I think it's causing us to ask the question uh, why would we say the things that we're saying and do we actually believe it so uh, the inherent question that comes or the implicit question probably a better word uh, with what uh, Pastor Kevin was talking about is uh, you know any person who's a leader in ministry right now they're kind of already asking themselves well, would I go into somebody's house and, you know, touch their hand if I knew that they were sick? Would I do? And that's a good question to ask in the same way that somebody who doesn't follow Jesus is going, well, why would I trust Jesus in the midst of all of these things? And where it goes again to me, uh, back to the connectedness piece, it's like this whole John 15 thing that we like to make a platitude or just kind of a pithy thing is uh, I'm the vine you're the branches he who abides or remains in me and I in him will bear fruit apart from me you'll do nothing right like we like to talk about that more in terms in in healthy spaces we talk about it like man it's probably good to be connected to God and uh, if I do things connected to Jesus it'll probably be better than you know the way that it would be if I just did it on my own and then really what he's saying is like, no, like there is no fruitfulness. There is no flourishing. There is no fully aliveness unless you're connected to me. So unless I've connected to him to experience that, I can't truly and genuinely say that with a straight face to someone when I'm confronted with real problems, real trials, real difficulty. So again, I I don't despise that question. I think that that question is a healthy question. Uh, And to answer your question, I would say it really calls for me to 
rather than be informing people, I need to be inviting people. And I think that sometimes what happens in our position of ministry leadership is we're given over to informing people. Hey, this is what you need to do. This is what's going to happen. This is where you're going to go. This is where you're not going to go. This is what you need to practice. This is what you need to withhold from. And that's all fine, but it's not a matter merely of informing. It's a matter also of inviting. I said, yeah, Packer talked about that a long time ago. And the reason I think that's so important is if someone's confronting me with that type of question, the first way I need to answer is to say, well, for me, this is what happened and this is how my life has changed. Because if I don't have that to offer, it's really kind of an empty uh, statement. And, and I do deserve to be kind of corrected or checked in regard to that if I'm just simply telling somebody something out of information in my head rather than saying, well, this is what it represents for me and in my life. So again, it's a reckoning, as Pastor uh, Kevin was saying, it's, it's a reckoning for all of us. It's not just for people who are far from God. Uh, to say, do we trust in God? It's, no, people who have said we trust in God, do we trust in God? <laughs> it's like the gospel is either true or it's not, and we need to figure out what we actually believe about it in times of suffering. Yeah, well, I, I remember the morning after the, the tornado, standing in the kitchen with my wife and my five-year-old, and we were saying, oh, thank, thank God we're okay. You know, we're, we're safe here. And then Gideon said, well, yeah, if God protected us, why didn't he protect those people that, their house did get demolished or they died in the tornado. And I feel like, you know, the, corona- the the coronavirus can rip through somebody's life just like a tornado, indiscriminate, and you don't know why it took this person and not that person. And and it's tough as a parent. You know, it's, it's a hard enough question as yeah. peers to sit across from each other over coffee and talk about these things. But when you're a parent re- responsible for encouraging and teaching your right. child, I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there who are getting questions, you know, we were we were laughing about the kids at church this last Sunday about they're having conversations about coronavirus at five and six and seven right. years old, but that's that's the reality. That's the reality. So, and you guys have kids. You have adult kids. You have young kids. Yeah. Are you having any of these difficult conversations? Are you seeing things that you're like, ah, oh, I don't know how to respond? That you know the listeners might be going, I don't know how to respond. What, yeah. Help think, me out. You know, maybe it's a good time for everybody to read Hebrews eleven. Right, the what we call the Hall of Faith, um, because it, and what's interesting to me about that chapter is you know it lists all the heroes of the faith. You know, it starts with Moses and it goes all the way down, and it talks about some incredible things that God did. Uh, you know, how He brought brought the the Israelites out of the Promised Land. You know, guided them uh, across the Red Sea. How He healed people. How He raised the dead. How He uh, delivered people from all these things. And then when you get Near the end of the chapter, it talks about another group of people, uh, people who, who were killed, people who were thrown into the fire, people who went through tremendous amounts of suffering because of their faith in Christ. And then of those group of people, it says, the world was not worthy of them. And so it's, it's this, we got to flip the script. We, we have a tendency to say, if you just believe hard enough, these good things will happen to you. Whereas what the Bible, to me, teaches from Genesis all the way through Revelation, but, but Hebrews 11 shows that it's that, no, you can believe, you can be the strongest believer um, there has ever been, and you still may go through times of suffering. And in fact, the greater your faith, the greater your suffering, you know, in, in, in some ways. Um, so in other words, you know, does, if, I, if I'm going through a tremendous time of suffering, um, is it because God thinks that my faith is strong enough to endure that time of suffering? Instead of thinking, 
if I just had more faith, I wouldn't be going through this suffering. Uh, well, no, it, 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 no. The, the true miracle, it, the true miracle is not being delivered from something. The true miracle is is keeping your faith and trusting Jesus um, without ever being delivered from it, without ever giving up hope, without ever giving up faith. That's that that that's the miracle. And so now to the question with my kids, my you know my kids are out of the house, um, so I don't I don't see them a whole lot. I see my daughter. Uh, probably more than my son, um, but my son, you know, Misty and I were supposed to go on a cruise and it got canceled. And on the way uh, to New Orleans, my son was calling me or and calling his his mom mainly, but talking to both of us. Hey, are you guys still going? Yes, oh yes, we are. Okay, be careful. Then our cruise got canceled, and he <laughs> he called back and said, "I'm so glad you're not going. I was really worried about you. You know, he didn't want us to know how worried he was, but he was relieved when." Okay, good. I don't have to. I don't have to worry about that. Now he's in the medical field, so he's seeing things, you know, from a different perspective than I am. I think, uh, on the other hand, um, um, you know, there, there's a little bit more anxiety, you know, because my, you know, I have a young granddaughter, um, and so I think um, from my daughter's perspective, there's a little bit more anxiety because now, for the first time, you see yourself responsible for another life, um, and that creates. So it's not so much. I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about you know, for her, my daughter, for me, my granddaughter. And so, and so um, there's been some conversations. I think my wife has, has been the one that's been called on to, to have uh, some of those conversations right now more than I have. But, uh, but it's just this constant, just constantly trying to remind everybody it's, you got to trust in God. Um, peace that passes understanding. Don't, don't be anxious for anything, you know, but in everything, give thanks. Um, and, uh, and, and all those things are easier said than done. Um, but I would think in you guys' situation with young kids that you guys are in a position of uh, of really having to try to answer some questions, um, you know, because these, these young kids are seeing it. And how do you explain what's going on to a five-year-old or six-year-old? Um, so, you know, man, my <laughs> my prayers are with you because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I would say uh... – I keep coming back to this theme of uh, what is ultimately a reckoning and the reckoning is important continually. And I think the Bible talks about continually bringing yourself to a reckoning, which is to be aware of what it is that you say you believe and ask the question why you believe it. So I think hopefully in the rhythms of practicing the way of faith, we continually bring ourselves to reckoning. So that's through prayer, studying the word, meditation, these fasting they bring calibration to us continually, and we impose it upon ourselves so that we're always in a place of uh, uh, posture of listening, preparedness, a, you know, a reckoning. And I think that that, again, comes back to me, even with the way that I parent my kids. Like, I'm being very challenged right now in not what do I say moving forward about this, but more than anything, what have I been teaching them till this point that would afford them the opportunity to look forward with a sense of continuity? You know, I think that's really the challenge is you're looking at, okay, in the way that I've talked about God before, uh, does he really hold water now when I say to you, hey, man, you need to trust in God in the midst of all of this hard stuff? Like, did I play him as a, a small, distant God who's like Santa Claus that kind of just gives us stuff when we ask him? 
or did I play him like a God who is truly faithful and belongs with us and, and desires to be with us all the time? And so I think those are really, honestly, the harder questions that a lot of parents are probably wrestling with, if we're, if we're being frank. But I think moving forward, I really, I really do believe it's uh, what we value uh, and what we place our hope in is going to dictate whether or not we're giving out false hope, as you talked about. You know, I think um, in Psalm 127, you know, it's a, a wisdom psalm. Solomon drops, he says, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers, uh, laborers will labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's early you rise and late you go to bed uh, eating the bread of anxious toil. Like he is so brilliant in the way that he's painting a picture of what our relationship to God should look like, especially as parents in this situation. He's like, unless the Lord's building the house, you're building in vain. I think about somebody who's, you know, got a hammer and nails and they are on a job site and uh, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And so uh, out of their desire to work hard and give all their effort, they take their hammer and nails, go up to a wall and just start banging away, you know, for eight hours. And then they finish their day. They've sweat. They actually worked hard. So it wasn't like they were slacking. They weren't looking for a way out. They just didn't know exactly what to do, but they gave their all to everything they thought was the best intention. But the problem is you can work really hard and your hard work can be for naught in a sense that you haven't sought the general contractor, the boss to go, hey, I'm ready to work hard. Where do you want me to work hard? And then tell me when I'm done working hard there, where, where should I go? You know, and it's almost the same thing, too, with which is more applicable, I think, to the to the question you're asking with parents is uh, unless the watchman, uh, the great watchman watches over the city, the little watchman, us, stay awake in vain. So we can worry, we can fret, we can uh, try to figure out how to lead, navigate and guide. I think, again, goes back to our best thinking. But unless the Lord is the one who is the center and the focus of what that looks like, and unless I'm ushering that type of awareness of that type of God to my kids, I'm doing them a disservice because I'm just giving them platitudes if I'm going, hey, man, you need to just trust. And they're like, trust in what? <laughs> you know? Right. So anyway. Well, thank you guys uh, for this discussion. Uh, obviously, there's there's much more to be had. Uh, I, I, I've been watching Frozen 2 over and over. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at home. But there's a song in there about the next right thing. I don't know if you guys have, yeah. have seen Frozen 2. But as we're closing out today, I liked what you were just saying. Whether not being you know caught up in the busyness and just the work, but being intentional, being focused, uh, calibrating your life. What is the next right thing as we go forward as believers, as human beings? All right, here's something very, very, very practical as the next right thing. Pray and ask God to bring three people to your mind um, who need... Um, some type of connection. It could be a phone call. It could be whatever. And those, and when those three people come to your mind, write their names down, give them a phone call, send them a private message on Facebook, do whatever, and just say, hey, man, just thought of you, um, been praying for you. Is there anything that you need? That, that might be the next right thing, you know, just just to reach out to three people. Uh, you might be surprised, the three people who come to your mind. Uh, but uh, just, Lord, what three people in my sphere of influence needs some type of connection right now. And, and, and just those three that come to your mind, take that as this is who God has told me to do and then call them and check up on them, see what's going on. Okay. It's easy. Yeah. I would just say, um, 
it's an opportunity, regardless of how we arrived at this place, uh, which is a terrible way to arrive at this place. Uh, but we are presented with an opportunity to have space and to have rest together uh, as families and, and even individually. Um, work is stopping. Uh, life is essentially stopping in a lot of ways that we've known it. So uh, asking good why questions about behind a lot of things that we're doing is a, is a great way to kind of inform the way we move forward because we can then look at it with a, a hope of sustainability and, and substance as we uh, kind of evaluate the way we interact with people, the way we love and serve our family, and even some of the things that we've uh, done out of our routine. So maybe just take some time to, to write some things down, maybe journal, get a little bit of space and just uh, write it in your phone, whatever, just uh, start thinking through uh, with intentionality how to approach this next season so that you can steward it well. Very good. Very good. Well, that leads into uh, a request for questions here. If you guys have uh, thoughts, questions, comments about anything we've talked about today, please reach out via email. Um, you can do Twitter, Riggs at, uh, at Riggs, Riggs underscore, underscore Kevin. Kevin. Um, and uh, forward any messages here we will send them off to cz if you have questions specifically for cz cz thank you for joining oh, us this morning honor. yeah honor this was this was fun good discussion good. a tough tough topic um and again maybe we'll bring you back for a recap when it's all over fun yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right uh thanks for joining us for floods of justice uh subscribe tell your friends and we'll see you on the next episode the floods of justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.